You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Exodus. Here's Nate. Well, Exodus chapter 16 is an entire chapter dedicated to God's provision of food, particularly manna, bread from heaven, for the nation of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. This manna, this food that God would give to them miraculously, six days of the week, the sixth day they would collect double for the Sabbath day or the seventh day, the day of rest. This manna was what God used to feed the nation, provide for the nation, for the entirety of their 40 years of wilderness wanderings and would continue until the moment that they entered into the promised land. And once they entered into the promised land, then the manna ceased and they ate actually from the land that God was trying to give to them, the land that was flowing with milk and honey. It's where God wanted to take them. But Exodus 16, a beautiful chapter concerning God's provision, God's feeding, God's nourishment for the nation of Israel as they wandered now into the wilderness. It says in verse 1 that they set out from Elim. Now, you remember from chapter 15 that they had gone to Marah first where they discovered the bitter waters and then God healed the waters through the log representative of the cross of Christ but then went on from there to a place called Elim and camped there for a period of time. We don't know how long. There were palm trees and springs of water. It was a place of refreshment and encouragement for them. So wonderful when the Lord brings us to those places of refreshment and encouragement. But here they set out from Elim and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So now we are at the 15th day of the second month. So we are a month out now from their departure from Egypt. And the whole congregation, verse 2, of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It's very fascinating to notice that the greatest complaints and temptations concerning the Israelites or of the Israelites concerned their temporal or physical needs, whether it was thirst or hunger they would get driven to this place of despair and really began to cry out against the Lord. Things that they wouldn't normally do when satiated or fresh off a wonderful victory, they would say these things that were just horrible to say as a result of intense hunger or thirst. And so verse 2, they grumbled and notice that it's against Moses and Aaron that they directed their complaints. And so probably a month out of their travels, their supplies have been depleted. Their food resources are gone. They've been redeemed by the Lord, but they are grumbling against the leadership that God had given to them. And the curious thing is that when they grumble, what they say in verse 3 is, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, 
when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. The interesting thing there is that this was an incredibly selective memory on the parts of the Israelites. They had, of course, at the beginning of this very book, the book of Exodus, the book had started with horrible, brutal treatment at the hands of the Egyptians. And that had caused the Israelites to finally cry out to God for deliverance. And they had horrible taskmasters and lived as slaves. Every child that was born to a Hebrew household was born into slavery. No hope of freedom. But yet when they recount now in this moment of hunger, when they recount their time in Egypt, they say, Oh, it was a time when we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full. <laughs> they thought that, you know, their life with the Egyptians was a better life. And, you know, they even had the audacity to say, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. You know, all these Egyptians that died through all these plagues and died because of the Passover and all of that. Would that we had died right there with them. It's the ultimate insult after what they've just gone through with the Lord. And it speaks to us, of course, of the fickleness of mankind. Often our memories are so selective. You know, sometimes we can go and we can think about what it would be like to live outside of the Lord and his rules for our lives, his leadership of our lives. And we sometimes maybe imagine that that life, to, you know, live sexually in the way that my flesh might desire to live sexually, or to live financially in the way that my flesh might desire to live financially. We think of all these things, and perhaps for a moment, our flesh is able to lie to us and cause us to think, oh, you know, that would be actually a much better scenario than what I've got today. Or perhaps we go back into our past life and we reminisce and we talk of the good old days and the parties and the celebrations and the drunkenness and the highs and all of that. And we look upon those times with great fondness. Not that there wouldn't be friends and all of that that you would remember with some fond or kind memories, but then to really remember, no, that's not actually what it was like. I know in my life, before I began walking with the Lord and before I gave my life to Him, uh, it was actually, uh, there were moments of great fun and celebration and all of that. Nothing that can compare to what I have today and the joy that I have today. But there were moments of fun, pockets of it. But overall, there was a darkness over my soul. There was a depression upon my heart. There was an emptiness in the things that I had pursued. And these people were dishonest and unable to declare the truth of what they had previously endured. Discouragement will so often push you away from an ability to see things clearly. Now, in verse 4, it says that the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, this is interesting. God is saying, I'm going to miraculously provide bread and it's going to come every day and I'm doing it this way so that I may test them to see whether they will obey me or not obey me. So let's see how they do with whatever test God is referring to. On the sixth day, verse 5, 
when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So this must be the test. On the seventh day, will they go out and eat? So Moses and Aaron, verse 6, said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So you have sort of the pattern of the way that this provision is going to occur. It's going to be an everyday situation. And I think in one sense, what God is doing is he's trying to develop within the people a, an understanding of God's daily provision in their lives. You know, I think oftentimes we worry about the provision of God, even though the Lord tells us not to. He tells us in Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things, our temporal needs, will be added to you. You know, the Lord has promised to care for us as we set the kingdom of God as a priority, as we serve the Lord, as we give. The Lord will care for us. He'll take care of all of our needs. Not all of our greeds, but, but all of our needs. The Lord will take care of. He'll watch over us. Paul told the Philippian church in Philippians 4, verse 19, he said, My God will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And it should be mentioned, you must mention this, that Paul wrote that to a church right in the middle of a section where he was commending that church for generously, financially giving and supporting his ministry. And as a result, Paul said, I know that God is going to supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. And so trusting the daily provision of the Lord. I live in a culture that is very well off got modern advances of science and medicine and technology, great wealth. We often talk about little dips in the economy here and there, but by and large, we are a wealthy people taken care of fabulously. However, even in an environment like that, we seem to be, and sometimes even more in an environment like that, we seem to be so worried about the Lord's provision and care for our lives. And he wants to teach us that he is a God who cares for us every single day. This is why we're to pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread. And so the Lord established this daily routine. He said it's coming and established that they would on the sixth day get double the amount of this bread so that on the seventh day they could rest from their labors and have a day unto the Lord. And Moses said to them in verse 8, he said, listen, you're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against him. And uh, I think Moses is growing a little tired of this pressure from the people, but he correctly identifies the real problem. He really, at the end of the day, any complaint is a complaint against the Lord uh, because of his sovereign hand over and upon our lives. And so it's so important to say, Lord, I thank you and I trust the situation that I'm in because I trust you. I trust that you are able, you see what I'm going through, Lord. And to just be honest before the Lord, but to lean and to depend upon him. He says, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then in verse 9, 
Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. So the cloud shows up. The glory of the Lord is very present there. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. One of the things that should be so obvious as you move through the book of Exodus and you see the stories and the accounts of the people of Israel complaining and grumbling against Moses and the Lord and all of that is the gracious response of God towards his people. I mean, here they complain and they grumble and talk about going back to Egypt and wishing that they were back in Egypt and that they had died at the hand of the Lord there saying that it was better for them in that situation than in this current situation that they were in. And the Lord doesn't come in and judge them or kill them off. He comes in with this amazing grace. This is how he treats his covenant people. And he is so generous and kind. On verse 13, it says, In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. God had said, tonight you're going to eat meat and here are these quail. They come up and cover the camp and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. Now, in that region of the world, in the fall, this quail would migrate and also in the spring. And so in the fall, they would go south from the Canaanite territory and in the spring, they would go back up north back to Canaan. Even Egyptian art indicates a lot of pictures of catching these birds and hand nets and all of that because when they were tired through their migration, they were easy prey. And so God miraculously causes these quails to come upon the Israelite people. This was no natural migration. You've got food enough for a few million people. Uh, Just a miraculous, incredible thing. And so God caring for his people. And then it says in verse 14 that when the dew... Because, the, you know, in the morning, the dew lay around the camp. When the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. That's the name for manna, is what is it? They really didn't know. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. A miraculous thing. It all evened out. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Now, this manna that God causes to fall upon the ground with the dew for the people of Israel, this manna, this bread is really speaks to a lot of things that the Lord gives to us as his people. This was a daily supply of bread that they would consume. And as I already mentioned, this was God teaching the people to look to him for their daily provision. But beyond that, this manna also represented two significant things in the rest of Scripture. It represented, number one, the Word of God. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, 
he says, God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So in one sense, this manna from heaven, it's kind of like God is saying, listen, here's bread for you to eat, but you know that you need more than just this physical bread. You need the bread from heaven. You need the word of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, more nourishing than even this bread that is given to you physically. But beyond that, more than that, this bread represents Jesus. Jesus himself, after feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6, was pursued by them because they wanted to make him king. And in John 6 verse 32, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus, speaking of himself, declares himself as the real and the true bread from heaven. Listen, every single day, we know what we need and we know who we need. We need to interact with Christ. We need to receive more of Christ. We need to eat that bread of heaven and we need to consume him and partake of him in his word to live off every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, to have his word be our daily nourishment, our daily strengthening. And the Lord provides abundantly for us on a daily basis. And so as you look at the parameters and the requirements that God gave to the people of Israel concerning the collection of the manna that he was giving to them, you really have a great word of exhortation concerning how we are to eat of the word of God and to partake of our fellowship with Jesus. First of all, notice that the bread didn't just automatically go to them. It fell on the ground, but they had to, he says, go out and gather it. Verse 16, gather it. And so you have to actively pursue the Lord, actively pursue his word. He says in verse 16, and gather it each one of you. So it's not enough for my neighbor to seek the Lord or for my fellow Christian in church to partake of his word. I myself have to personally consume of him. And he says, as much as he can eat. So you have to fill yourself as much as possible with this fellowship with the Lord and in his word. And he says, he takes it to the persons that each of you has in his tent. And this, I think, is a word to fathers, those who lead families. Listen, partake of the word and deliver it to your families. Even tonight, as I go home, I'll have an opportunity to speak the word of God to my children as we gather around the dinner table. We'll talk about his word a little bit tonight. I look forward to it, taking that manna that God has given to me and giving it out to my wife, giving it out to my children, not in a legalistic kind of way, but in a celebratory, glad kind of way as we rejoice about what the Lord has done inside of our lives. And so verse 18, it tells us that they measured all of this with an omer. And someone has done the math on this and determined that this meant that every single day there were 4,500 tons 
of bread delivered from God to the nation of Israel. That doesn't mean a whole lot to me personally, but then they said it like this. That is 10 trains with 30 boxcars full of bread every single day. <laughs> so just a wonderful, miraculous provision from the Lord. Now, verse 19, Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it left over till the morning, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. So what you have here is the test that God had spoken of. There were some, not everyone, but there were some who failed that test. On the seventh day, as they went and collected, some of them tried to keep some for the next day. And it, of course, bred worms and stank. As God had promised, he said, you've got to go out and get it every single day. Let no one leave any of it, he says, verse 19, until the morning. This is a daily experience, isn't it? To go receive of the Lord, to eat of his word, to partake of your fellowship with Christ. And, you know, it says in verse 21 that when the sun grew hot, the manna melted. They had to go out early to partake and receive of the Lord. It's important not to be legalistic about this kind of thing and to govern when a person is going to seek the Lord and pray and read his word. But I've noticed over the course of my life that the morning is much more powerful for me than at any other time of the day. And it does seem that the morning throughout Scripture, is the pattern. Jesus himself went out early in the morning to spend time with his father. There's just something about that time of day for most people's lifestyle and rhythm that is just quieter and more peaceful, more solitary before the Lord. Now on the sixth day, verse 22, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So on the sixth day, some of them, they followed the directions. They collected twice as much. Some of the leaders were actually concerned about it. They told Moses what they thought they perceived to be disobedience. But Moses clarified things. He said, no, that's right. Tomorrow's a solemn day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Now, this is interesting. This is the Bible's first mention of the Sabbath directly. Indirectly, God rested after the six days of creation on the seventh day from his work, sort of establishing that Sabbath rhythm for the people of God. And so here he institutes it once again. And he says, you know, on that day, on the Sabbath, you will not find food out on the field. Now, verse 27 still. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So they failed the test. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh 
day. So they failed this test. And, but the Lord says, look, this is how it's going to be in the future. On that Sabbath, remain in your place. Don't go out to collect and to work on that seventh day. And so here at this moment, God is very gracious and merciful to them. There would be those who were judged for similar offenses later on in their wilderness wanderings, going out and gathering sticks on the Sabbath and such. But here the Lord is gracious, merciful. They did not know the seriousness of the Sabbath, which is a wonderful gift that God had given to them, just this great day to rest before the Lord. I'd encourage you to have not just a day of rest, but to have a Sabbath heart, I think, is what the Lord desires for us. Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath requirement. He now is our Sabbath. He is our rest. And to have that Sabbath heart is so important in this fast-paced, dog-eat-dog kind of world that we live in. Now, verse 31, the house of Israel called its name manna. Uh, Again, meaning what is it? It was like, he writes, coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. So very interesting here, the close of this chapter about the manna. The Lord commands Moses and he relays it to Aaron and says, listen, I want you to take one omer, a jar that measures one omer, and I want you to fill it with manna And that one jar, that's the only jar, you'll be able to keep that one more than overnight. You'll be able to keep it throughout your generations so that future generations can see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness. This would stand as a symbol of God's miraculous provision for them. Future generations needed to know of it. And one of the greatest things you can do in life is just to declare what God has done in your life, to declare his faithfulness in your life, the way that he's provided for you, protected you. Declare it to your children. Declare it to your friends. Declare it to your spouse. Declare it to fellow believers. Declare it to your church. Declare it to your church leadership. Declare it to those who don't know the Lord. And declare it, ho, 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 so importantly, to yourself. So often we forget God's faithfulness in our lives. And so they kept this omer of manna. They put it before the Ten Commandments, either in the ark eventually, once they got that going, or in front of the ark. But they kept it there where the Ten Commandments were, which of course they didn't have yet at this point. But as they're writing this retroactively, they put it there eventually where the Ten Commandments were kept and inside their tabernacle, all of that. Verse 35, the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. It says in verse 36, an omer is the 10th part of an ephah. So he tells us there in verse 35, you know, they had this manna all the way until the point that they went into the promised land. And then the Lord cut off this supply. Just a wonderful over 
you know, 40 years of provision that the people of Israel were able to eat the manna. And then he closes this section by giving us a little bit of an indication of the measurement of an omer, just over two liters. This term only occurs in this chapter, so that's why he gives us this explanatory addition. But remember the faithfulness of God in providing for you and eat of him daily. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.